happy, happy. Oh, what is today? Tuesday. Is today Tuesday? Today's Tuesday. Yes. It is I the think. feast of St. Anthony the Great. Yes. Yes. Many years, Anthony, my friend. Thank you, Gregory. <laughs> Welcome to King Pilled, fine folks. Uh, Anthony slash Cooper over there is Cooper, I guess. That is that is that is the green guy. And then I am Matthew Gregory, if you're Orthodox. This is King Pilled, and we have got ourselves a very interesting subject today. So a few different people have requested that we... Uh, we've, we've mentioned this Project 2025 thing, and a few different people have requested that we go into more detail on it. Um, now, I'm not going to give you uh, an exhaustive breakdown on it, because that's kind of impossible. It is a, <laughs> it's a four-part plan, and one of those parts is a 980-page manifesto. So um, I'm not going to read all 980 pages. Uh, that's not going to happen. Not even necessary. The actual uh, nitty-gritty substance of it doesn't matter as much as uh, what it represents or what it facilitates. Um, so we're going to get suspect, into that. <clears throat> I suspect you're not even going to read 180 pages. That is true. I've probably read 80 pages, maybe. But I've, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten the idea in those, in those 80 pages. And um, the, like I said, it's, it's more the, what it represents, what it stands, uh, what it stands for. The, honestly, the vast majority of it is really just conservative policy wonkery. But they've gone yeah, through basically yeah. like every branch of the government, and they've touched on every single uh, administrative office, every single role and responsibility within those offices what they were originally set up for, what they've been doing and what they should be doing or whether they should be just done away with completely. Um, it's basically like a policy manual for a conservative or, well, it's a policy manual f for a president that wants to uh, do the things that uh, the conservative donors want him to do. Um, so we're going to, we're going to go into some detail on it and I think what it stands for, what it represents um, what it means, what its relevance is to us, and uh, hopefully address some objections that I expect are are going to be coming. Um, Joshua Hamm in the chat, he says, Project 2025, how to use the bureaucratic state and executive power to destroy the Democrat power base. In a nutshell, yeah, that would that would probably be a, a, a very optimistic upshot of it. I'm, I'm trying to keep my expectations a little bit measured, but I do think that it stands, it represents a, a significant cultural thing that is happening. Um, last show we did was a fantastic conversation with our good buddy, the Frogman himself, the Prudentialist. And, uh, it's funny. We talked to Orrin McIntyre a couple weeks ago. Then we talked to the Prudentialist last week and the Prudentialist interview in terms of live views, it was like double the live views as Orrin. It, uh, it quickly matched and surpassed Orrin's total views, despite being like nine or 10 days behind it. I don't know what it is about, uh, I mean, we've been we've been talking about Oren as being like the you know the, the the hot shot among our guys, and maybe we should be talking about the Prudentialist because he seems to really bring the eyeballs a lot more. Uh, Oren, you gotta you gotta step up your game, man. I know Oren is, is is eagerly waiting to hear uh, listen to King Pilled as soon as it drops. <laughs> Oren schmuck. <laughs> Prudentialist, Mister Frogman is the future. He is. Yes. Conservative punditry. Yes. Yeah. Rank punditry, as he and, and Oren refer to it as whenever he's on Oren's show. 
Uh, we can tell you guys that next week um, we are going to be joining the Prudentialist on his show to be talking about the PayPal mafia in more detail. And as of uh, about five minutes ago, I got confirmation that uh, next week I'm also going to be going on uh, the Pete Quinones show to discuss the same topic. So it's cool to see that the it seems like people are starting to pick up on on what's going on and uh, wanting to know more about it. And hopefully uh, I'm going to go uh, talk to Pete about this stuff. We're going to go talk to the Prudentialist and and not be wasting a bunch of air because it turns out that we're drawing a bunch of connections that that you know aren't aren't real in reality. But I don't think that that's the case. So um, before we get into today, I need to tell you about today's show sponsor, which is Third Position Nutrition. Third Position Nutrition was started by a couple of exceptionally charming, exceptionally good-looking, brilliant men. Those men started this company because they realized, well, number one, they, they were dealing with a whole bunch of uh, uh, personal health issues and struggling with, with uh, you know, cognitive uh, uh, fog and brain fog and, and, and stress and anxiety and all these sorts of things that are... <laughs> Are, are abundantly uh, prevalent among, uh, among our generation now. Um, but also, I almost said a word. I, 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 <laughs> also, these two men looked out into the expanse of the internet and realized that there is a serious shortage of physique maxing our guys. Our guys tend to be the more uh, theory cell side of the side of the aisle. And, and honestly, I think we probably recognize that because we have a lot of those inclinations ourselves. Um, we, we kind of, we kind of see our own bugaboos and other people and the theory selling is great, but, uh, it's not the entire, it, it, it's not everything that there is to, to, um, focus your life on. And in fact, in the current state of the world where we are um, being inundated by all sorts of, of uh, physical, biological, um, uh, chemical, uh, different elements that are, that are being, being thrown at us that are trying to, to destroy our manliness. They're trying to break down our masculinity. They're attacking our testosterone. And uh, frankly, I think that it is our responsibility as men, as Christian men in particular, to take care of our bodies. To physique max is not an exercise per se in, I don't know, vanity. It's not like you're, uh, um, you're only doing this so you can look good. I think it is good to do it so you can look good. But for men in particular, it building muscle, it is good to look good. Yes, aesthetics are, are um, uh, not relative. Uh, however, building muscle is not just for aesthetic reasons. It looks good, but the reason it looks good is because number one, it feels good. And number two, it is good. That's why you have a natural attraction toward it because you recognize the health and the vitality of, um, of a person with who, who has physique maxed. So, um, it turns out that physique maxing is actually a lot easier than, uh, than you might think, or than you might've been led to believe. Um, crazy, I know it is to suggest that there might be a conspiracy out there to make you think that taking care of your body is a lot more trouble than it actually is. But, um, so if you are a Christian, we, we say Christian dad over 25. And the reason we make those three qualifiers is because we don't want to work with just anybody. 
We want to work with people who, number one, have already shown themselves as having a, a predisposition for discipline and um, uh, uh, self-denial and uh, making making responsible decisions. We want to see people who already have, or they're already pot committed. They already have an investment that they've put into that category of their life. So if you're a Christian man, then you see the world the way we do it. If you're a father and you're over 25, then you're, you're starting to hit the point where uh, I think this is increasingly earlier and earlier in life. It didn't used to be that way, but it very much is now where guys are starting to hit their, 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 their energy peak in their late twenties. And they get over this hump of their, their late twenties and into their thirties. And then increasingly begin to be uh, swamped by thoughts about, um, you know, recognizing they're starting to get over the hump. All of a sudden time seems a lot more valuable and they've got a lot more responsibilities, a lot more things to invest in and uh, to that demand their attention. And I don't know, the pressures of life start really start really weighing on you. And it also happens to be when physically you begin to degenerate. You've reached, you've, you've, you've started to surpass your physical max. And if you don't take conscious effort or direct conscious effort toward maintaining yourself physically, then you'll continue to degrade. And as you degrade physically, you'll degrade psychologically. You'll degrade emotionally. Physical degradation corresponds with spiritual degradation. So if you want to maintain a sharp mind, if you want to stay spiritually disciplined, then you need to take care of your own body. This is a, this is a spiritual responsibility. So this is something that we believed in enough that we we decided to start our own gig here, helping guys who need help because we it actually is a lot easier than you might think. So the program that we offer uh, is going to take you uh, less than forty five minutes a week. That's all it takes. We have a, a a fitness side of it. We have a nutrition side of it. We'll help you get your diet under control if you're dealing with brain fog, if you're if you have bowel distress issues, if you're low energy, if you have a hard time sleeping. I mean, there's just it, your diet determines such a vast number of 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 uh, ways that you feel and ways that your your body behaves. So, um, and having a a quote unquote clean diet actually involves a lot more uh, tasty stuff than you might think. For example. One of our core superfoods is, I'm not making a joke, is ice cream. We want you to eat more ice cream, enjoy it, and build muscle so that you can maintain your vitality as a man deep into your 30s, 40s, 50s, and onward. I don't think, I don't think we've had anybody over 50 reach out yet, um, but our protocol doesn't really care how old you are. So um, the vast majority of guys who listen to us are in their 20s and 30s and some in their 40s, but... Um, if you're, if you're interested, if you'd like to get more information, I'll do a free consulting call with you. Um, I'll talk to you about your, what your current protocol is nutritionally and fitness wise. Um, I'll offer you some advice or give you some feedback on it. And, uh, and I can tell you about our program as well. If you're interested in that, then just shoot an email to Matt, M-A-T-T at hyperboreanlodge.com. Matt at hyperboreanlodge.com. It's also written in the YouTube description and in the, if you're listening to this in the podcast version after afterward, the audio only, then it should be in the, in the, the description of the podcast episode as well. Um, so as friend or fed says, sign up, you fat bastards. All right. So project 2025 is something that came onto my radar around the time that we started looking into this PayPal mafia thing. 
I'd heard about it a couple times before that. I just heard references to it. And it struck, well, let me let me say this, Cooper. When you hear about conservative NGOs slash think tanks, when you when you hear about them talking, having some sort of governance plan with a name like Project 2025 or Operation Yada Yada or whatever goofy name they give it, what is your what is your immediate impression? I think you're muted or the mic's not picking you up. I am muted, or I was muted. My first impression is this is probably going to be really gay. Yes. Right. It sounds like, you know, we've all encountered these these NGOs that are mm-hmm. just just cringe factories. It's all the boomer cons who are talking yep. about all the American ideals. And if we could just get our greatest ally, and free and market and our greatest ally. Yeah, legal exactly. immigration. Right, right. It's it's all cucked, paused, whatever, whatever term you want to use. Um, that was my impression on it. I'm just like, you know, whatever. And similarly, it's funny. My impression of Vivek was, ah, this is Republican Andrew Yang. I'm not going to pay any attention to him. So if you'd have told me, like, I don't know, three or four months ago, six months ago, maybe, that I would be like, um, Vivek Ramaswamy is one of the most impressive people I've ever seen. And uh, there is a rising, legitimate, conservative, right-wing, pro-Christian, pro-family agenda that's building steam. If you'd have told me that I would be thinking that, I would not have believed you. So I understand that when we talk about this, it hits the cynicism sensors big time. And I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that these guys are the future, that these, well, I would say these guys are the future. I'm not saying that these guys are our guys. I'm not saying this is. Um, all of our wildest dreams come true. This isn't us winning. I'm not making those cases. I think those things could be the case, but it would take us recognizing or accepting or acknowledging that possibility and leaning into it ourselves to actually make that be the case. And even then, it wouldn't be guaranteed. Even then, the odds are against that actually happening. Nothing's happening, bro. Oh, my God. See, this is another... I'm... I. There's a particular person on the internet that I want to talk to about this, the the nothing's happening bro versus the something's happening bro dichotomy, because it the the nothing's happening bro guys are really starting to chat my ass, and it's not necessarily because I think something is happening. I do think something is happening. I'm not 100 percent confident, but I think I think there's a lot of signs that point toward it, and yet. Even if there wasn't something happening, the attitude of nothing's happening precludes something from ever happening, or it at least precludes you from having any sort of role or participation or responsibility for the things happening. And I think that's ultimately the point. I, I think know, the man. nothing's like... happening bro thing comes from a, a, a defeatist kind of juvenile perspective. It feels like uh, as of late on. Maybe it's not the happening happening, but there seems to be like, you know, kind of a lot of things happening. And I just wonder, like, what is the threshold for Like, how many things have to happen before something's happening? You know, right. <laughs> At what point is do we go from not nothing's happening to something's happening? Right. When I, when I look around and look, I'm not online. I don't listen to the news. I just like 
I log into Twitter like once a day to scroll for five minutes, and I don't know. It seems like some things are happening. I, I, I don't know how somebody could possibly convince themselves that it's not unless they're doing it out of some sort of fear that, yep. you know, like they don't want to believe that something could possibly be happening because if that's the case, they might be hopeful about something. And if they're hopeful about something, they get invested in something and investing in something is cringe. Or, so, you know, investing yourself in anything. Everything's an op. Right. You know, right. that. Which is ultimately like the whole thing, like it's all the Illuminati or it's all the, the, um, the tribe or it's all the, this group or it's all the, that group, it's all the deep state. It's all the, those things are, I mean, I've had my time in those worlds. I've, I've spent time looking at the world that way and, and trying to internalize those perspectives. Cause I wasn't necessarily opposed to them in principle, but after going through enough of them, it's like, I don't, I don't disagree with the observations that people are making per se. You got tired feeling demoralized, but it's just a demoralization factory. It's, yep. it's like nothing could be better designed to get you jaded and checked out and unproductive. And then, I mean, this is kind of why I've started gravitating back to just wanting to listen to normies. Like, mm -hmm. I just want to hear kind of the ordinary. I, I'm listening to this. The Vivek is talking to Dana White. And it's like Dana White is very Trumpian in a lot of ways. And, you know, he's saying, he's like, oh, I don't care if you're gay or trans or whatever. If you want to show up and work hard, then, then you know, we're all together. And, <sighs> and, you know, all I care about is making money. And it's this very, like, bravado, like, I don't know, 2008 Republican kind of uh, energy. And, but frankly, it's like, it's kind of refreshing. Like, rather than just hearing someone bitch about, like, how everything's, the whole system's rigged against them and, and everything that we do is going to get stopped in its tracks and it's all a trap and there's feds everywhere and, and, and brown I mean, people and yeah. Yeah. And gays and whatever. Yeah. Like these, these people, whether it's the J's, the gays, the brown people, the, <laughs> the, 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 um, the trunies. Yeah. The trunies, like any of these categories, if, you are spending more than like a fleeting thought on them every day. They, they have captivated your mind. You are a slave. Yes. Yes. You got to free your mind, bro. You got to, you got to, you got to let it go. Bro. Slavery of the mind. DMT. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but no, like seriously, this is all impotent signaling. If you're, if We're I'm not all saying that God, dude, so there's like a difference, like I yeah, am God. unrestricted, unrestricted immigration I into the country God. or even some kinds of restrictions on immigration God. into the country. These things are me. bad. <laughs> are you God, Cooper? I am God, dude. CB's got it right. Nothing happening, bros, are do nothing, bros. This is Gunakri. The nothing is happening because if nothing was happening, then there's no utility in you saying nothing is happening. You're not accomplishing anything by saying nothing is happening if nothing is happening. If something is happening, then you saying nothing is happening just makes you look out of touch. So it's like there's no there's no value proposition here. Ultimately, all of the nothing happening bros are just spiritual cousins of James Lindsay. That's, I, I, I don't see any way around it. If nothing's happening, great, go do something.
Go make something happen. I just imagined it'd be much more uh, psychologically beneficial to subscribe to the notion that things are happening. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a great cure for, I don't know, nihilism. Yeah, yeah. Ennui. If Ennui, something's happening, yeah. like if something is happening, I'm, I'm saying if something actually is happening, then you can attach yourself to that. If something's not happening, you can attach yourself to something that looks like it's happening and you can actually make it start happening. There's something that I, I was going to go into... Uh, yeah, well, CB says Stockholm bros be like, flog me harder. It is like Stockholm syndrome. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want you. They don't want you to take away their boogeyman. They don't want if you if you dare suggest that their boogeyman might just be a creation of their own mind. Oh, and that they have that, to be responsible. Or even that these for things are. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, okay, sure. I, I it's it's transparently obviously true that the IQ people the. The the it's the tribe the it's the tunnelers people the uh, each of these people yes you have a case Th these factions they exist the deleterious effects that you're identifying yes those exist but you're not accomplishing anything by just yelling about them existing then you're just an obnoxious person who's yelling all the time you actually have to start putting your money where your mouth is. And trying to do something about solving the problem. And if, you're, if your thought is any attempt to solve the problem is going to be subverted because my particular enemy is just so powerful, you're a gunic. That is gunicry. You're just advertising your own fear and impotence. This is what's so refreshing about the, the entrepreneur bros. The, the the people who are interested in what's going on in tech or they're talking about the next uh, uh, some next uh, technology that's come out or solving some sort of problem related to marketing or like these are people who are actually doing something real. The people who are theory selling like you th that thing has its role, but it's not supposed to consume your entire life. This is like the apotheosis of the chuds. I think this is the, the hero's journey we are on where we will now voluntarily become normies. We've yeah. gone out, gone out to the edge of the world and saw all the monsters. And now it's like, you know what? I'm going home now. I'm Odysseus. I'm going home. That's a really good. That's I like that. That's really good. It's like. It's kind of like you get to the point where everything it's like everything's fake and gay. And some people get stuck there at everything is fake and gay. But the point is you have to if everything is fake and gay, then you can do whatever you want. Just like, just figure out how to navigate through and do whatever you want. You've realized the whole thing is a game, so just start playing the game. Because sitting back and just just yelling about how there's a game afoot, and no, more people don't realize that there's a game. Like, if there's a game happening that everybody is involved in, and lots of people don't realize it's a game, and you realize it's a game... That put that like gives you like an enormous leg up. Yeah, why are you going around trying to get like wake up all the normies? Why are you doing that? You're kneecapping your advantage. Right. Stop it. You're you're making it even harder for you to win the game. But the reason, but but here's the thing, is that the game is designed to be unwinnable on purpose. That's the point. The propaganda is to demoralize you. 
is to demoralize you and make you lose the game yourself. Because you realize anything that I do, no matter how I step forward, no matter how I try to organize, no matter how I try to, to invent or create or, or uh, you know, all these will to power guys, any, any like will to power for me is just going to be cut off at the pass. So I might as well just just doom post. Yeah, maybe we can shit on the Nietzschean kind of uh, will to power guys because they don't. It doesn't seem like they're really doing anything. Well, especially because anytime you see any of them, then you realize why they fell in love with this with this image. <laughs> but it, yeah, like the it's just nihilism. Like these are just nihilism factories. The demoralization is is out of control. And I don't know how many of these people are even actually that invested in the things they're saying online. I know for a fact that a lot of the guys that I've identified as the the doomers, the nothing's happening, bro, the, you know, everything's, you, you know, there's nothing you can do. You just got to wait for the great man to come save you. Everyone's all arrayed against you. You know, you scroll down the, the 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 Twitter timeline, and it's people just just posting. Can you believe this thing happened? Like this guy Amory King or whatever his name is, he's a quote unquote like conservative Trump guy, and his timeline is just video like snuff films of guys getting surrounded by a mob of of urban scholars and pounded into oblivion. He's like, can you believe this is happening? And as soon as it goes viral, he replies to it with uh, an advertisement for his THC gummies. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That I have seen that freaking video probably eight times in the last mm -hmm. five hours. I'm tired of it. Guys, stop. Yes. I'm not interested in watching people die. Yes, and I'm not buying your happening. I'm not buying your THC gummies either. <laughs> right, yeah. Bad stuff is happening. The world. Yeah, look at the wildebeest shake us. their yes. behind in the club, bro. All the sheboons running around screeching. We or know? the, uh, or the, uh, um, uh, like some new new country or new new. Um, what was it? I just saw like Iceland, um, got their first uh, uh, synagogue, and then like the next headline is the Reykjavik rabbi saying that Iceland needs to take in more refugees, more immigrants. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Th there was a time when it was like, okay, yeah, this, it, it, it kind of is, is, is like, it's reaffirming to see this. Okay. Like, yeah, this pattern that I've seen before, this pattern is continuing. It's like reaffirms that pattern, but it's gotten to the point where the, there is so, so much potential that could be accomplished among the right-wing commentariat. If they all decided to stop obsessing about what the problem is and start just forming solutions, just pick some little segment of it and try to solve it. Or not even solving anything. Just stop talking about the bad things. Yeah. For like a day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I almost tweeted something about the Amory King thing, but I was like, I don't even, I, I didn't want someone to put that on my timeline. I'm not going to go put it on somebody else's timeline. Yeah. There's nothing to be gained with obsessing about all of these things, all of the bad things that are happening. 
if you're not going to turn that obsession into some sort of a productive, creative endeavor. And I'm not talking productive or creative in terms of I'm going to highlight these things and then sell my, my drug product in the replies. Like those are, <laughs> that's not productive. It's one of the gayest things that I've ever seen on Twitter, honestly. And I mean, it's not like I'm surprised that it came out of Amory King, but it's Tyler James says a lot of my timeline on Twitter has become male, female dating black pillory and it sucks. That's all. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how this happens. Like, I don't know why that my feed is also devolved into that. Like, yeah, my, my feed is devolved into like snuff films and then like, like red pill, black pilling and shit like that. I don't know mm -hmm. how I don't follow that many people and I don't get on that much, but I guess this is what everyone's talking about. Like guys go outside, listen to music <laughs> or something. And this actually, this is, this is a great segue into, um, uh, into this project 2025 thing, because you've got this reality that has begun to develop where for most people who say kind of the, I, I don't know, like, I don't know what you want to call them. There's like this group of our guys, the, the, you know, right-wing dissident or NRX or, you know, there's varying stripes of Wignat and recovering libertarian. And there's like all these different sort of guys that sort of, we all kind of talk to each other. We're, we're forming this community, extended community. We retweet each other into our, our different spheres and, and I don't think that this, I don't think this particular phenomenon is gay at all. In fact, I think can this we, is actually, this is the future. Can we collectively like excommunicate the red pill guys? They're really, they're really annoying me recently. I, yes. Like this is a th like, if you don't want to see them, you can and stop the wig seeing them. Let's get the wig nats out of here too. They're getting annoying. Right. These people that are, that are purveying all this stuff, you can, you can just, Stop giving him your attention. There was a... I saw a good example of this recently. I don't... Some bullshit account that, you know, a couple hundred followers or whatever. Kind of like my account. Um, but uh, talking about Soul Bra and shitting all over him. Because, like, he looks like he might not be 100% ethnically European. So he's been like... You know, it's actually better. Like, this is worse than BAP being found out to be like a gay Jew or whatever. Like this is, this guy's lying to people to, to hawk his shit. I'm like, there's somebody actually doing something. They have a brand that's really vital and like, take care of yourself, get in shape, go do something. And people are like, he might not be purely Aryan. <laughs> so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that instead. Like you guys are gay. You're so gay. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're useless. You're going to start, start blood testing people to decide whether or not you like them. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you just, have no power. What are you talking yeah, right. about? Yeah, you're a bunch of impotent goobers. But here's the thing is there's a lot of people who are in, I don't know if I'm going to say <laughs> our circles, but in circles that affect us that are full of people who purvey this sort of thing, who actually have a life. This is a character that they're playing on the internet because it generates clicks and views and and um, it gives them some measure of limited cultural power over this little cabal of, 
of dorks who follow them around and just repeat whatever they say. Yes, but in real be. life, they're actually accomplished people who are successful, wealthy, you know. And so they blackpill you as a way of pulling up the ladder behind them. Yeah, CB says, look at this horrific and unjust child murder. Murder. Are you not motivated, bro? Like, right. Stop, mm -hmm. guys. No, I'm not. I'm not motivated seeing kids die. So there's two different realities that are kind of springing up here. You have the people who exist online to provide online commentary on these sorts of things. And it's kind of like the, the um, what's his name from the Simpsons? I'm, I'm helping. They're, <laughs> they're not actually like, yeah. they, they, it's like activity masquerading as achievement. You know, they're just like, like we, I did a bunch. I, I posted a bunch today. Yeah. It's like my four year old helping me fold laundry, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm helping. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure you are. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then, like, not, nothing that they're doing extends to anywhere except for just, just posting, essentially. And then you've got the people who are actually, they're posting, but in the middle of posting, they're doing other shit that actually is building something relevant to the posting. And then you've got a third category who are not posting at all and they're building. But nobody hears about these things. Nobody's talking about them. Nobody's building political energy around, energy around them because all the political energy is focused on boohooing and crying about the collapse of Western civilization and how all the all the blacks and Jews have have taken us over and we're just living at their mercy and we're subject to them. It's all like, it's all just crying about being a victim. Guys here. Don't live in a big city. And then mm -hmm. there's no blacks and Jews. Uh-huh. Just get out of the city. You'll be all right. Right. Go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Go to a park. Like, look out your window. There's like kids playing and life is mm -hmm. not that bad. Mm-hmm. Could be a lot worse. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as part of this kind of new uh perspective that I've started taking on, um I've started looking at some of this stuff in a different light where I don't these things matter to me, like like the 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 state of the country, the condition of the world that we're giving to our children the um the like mass illegal immigration and all of its economic effects like all of these things these are legitimate gripes these are legitimate concerns our our beef here is not the things you care about don't matter our beef is there is a distinct conflict between you claiming you care about these things and your actual activity with respect to them you claim you care about them, but nothing about what you're doing is actually doing anything to solve that problem for yourself or for anyone else. And I'm assuming that's the case because if you were actually doing something productive, involved in building some kind of civilizational project, you would be talking about that. And if you do happen to be one of these weird guys who is working, building something like that, and then you're also doing this, this doomer black pill thing online, then 
stop with the doomer black pill thing and talk about the thing that you're building. If it's if it's super top secret, stop talking altogether and just focus on it. Because we like if you're building something super top secret that's going to that's going to change someone's life, they need that thing built. Go finish it and quit demoralizing everybody around you. Tyler James, I can't spend my time around people who don't respect me or common decency, which is why I will spend all my time on the internet. <laughs> or or will spend all my time focusing on them. Just being completely like dialectically captivated by them. Yeah, it's good. Because it turns out that right now, individual people can have more sway on society than ever. The levers of power exist. And it's easier now to pull them than it ever has been. It just takes some focused, concentrated effort and cooperation, which ultimately, and this is what's so damaging about all the blackpilling, ultimately that focused effort and coordination and cooperation requires hope and optimism. You have to believe there's a future worth building for before you can begin building for it. And a part of the nihilist, the nihilist bent that has happened, I think, among right-wing politics lately, people have become so jaded and cynical about the system that they've actually gotten themselves to the point where whether they explicitly acknowledge it or not, they're beginning to act as if there is nothing to live for. That the institutions of society don't matter. The family, church, community, proper governance. Like, like all of a sudden, these things are all being treated with the same sort of dismissive, ironic nihilism. Yeah, like it's getting to the point where I think I might just have to sign out from mm -hmm. the internet entirely. And maybe just check in on Discord once a week or something because 90% of my internal struggles and battles recently have to do with that like having mm -hmm. to like pull myself out of this nihilistic sludge hmm that was a visual pulling yourself out of the nihilistic sludge that's good I'm, I'm all right so we've we've, like... we've gone 40 minutes so far and we haven't even gotten into the substance of everything which normally <laughs> and I've got about I've got like 30 minutes and I got to go. So <laughs> right. So like normally this wouldn't be a problem but Cooper and I are both on a on a time clock here tonight. So let me let me dive into this. Do you just so, do you just want to like do you just want to like rant about this for a little while longer? I kind of like this. We can get to this topic like next time. Uh people have been asking for the project 2025 thing and I don't want to tease it and then not All actually right. come through on it. So Okay, so you'll just give them like stuff. 20 minutes of it. You'll just like, yeah, yeah, them. yeah. So with that lead up, that all being said, let me pull this down here for a sec. With that all being said, this is a lead up for me saying, you need to listen to an interview, bear with me, between Charlie Kirk and Curtis Yarvin. Chuck Dirk. Chuck Dirk. I know we've mentioned this before. You need to go listen to it. I just finished listening to it again. And the just suspend disbelief. If you find it hard to believe that these two guys are going to bring something insightful to the table, suspend disbelief and just 
imbibe what he's saying, imbibe what Yarvin is is delivering to you in this interview, because it's a it's like a, a perfectly encapsulated framework of what I think is happening. Yarvin's not saying this is what should happen. Yarvin is describing what is happening right now. And I don't know to what extent this is like, you know, Yarvin has been in the smoke-filled room and to what extent this is Yarvin is aware of things going on and people are being influenced by him, by his writing, or at least by his worldview. People are beginning to either organically or not take on his worldview. This is the sort of energy that I'm identifying that's building up. It's very difficult to put borders around to, to identify it as a coherent concept without speaking in really dramatic terms like counter elite like there's the rise of a counter elite because this kind of gives the impression of like we're we're watching this as a movie or or we're like reading a historical account and you, this is where the this is where the the new faction arose and it moved into the picture and they I'm not, I have no idea to what extent this is going to go. I have no, no idea to what extent it's coordinated, to what extent it's organic. I, it could be a blip. It could be the rise of a legitimate Red Caesar. I don't know that. I don't know that. I'm saying I'm seeing the outlines of something like this coming into form. Hey, Matt. What? Side quest. What? I was thinking about getting some uh, plastic surgery done and getting the cheek, like the fat in my cheeks removed. What do you think? <laughs> Don't do it. No. Mm -mm. Okay. The buckle the fat rage. surgery is yeah no, no it's a, it's it's a uh, it's going to make you look like Brian Johnson. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Like a vampire. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like a gay vampire. <laughs> do you want to look like a gay vampire, Cooper? Mm. It's tempting. <laughs> so this is the transcript from from the podcast, and I pulled it out because I just wanted to highlight a few of these thoughts to kind of frame the thing about Project 2025. So uh, here, this conversation between Yarvin and and and, and Chuck Dirk um, is is very telling because of who Chuck Dirk's audience is. You know, it's like the most BoomerCon of BoomerCon. TPUSA is a meme. It has been a meme. <laughs> We're at the turning point. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. It's in the name. <laughs> yeah. But there's... I'm saying I fully understand the, the, the skepticism here, but there's something significant in having Curtis Yarvin go on Charlie Kirk's podcast and talk about these things, these Curtis Yarvin things that have become very familiar to us. We've heard them a lot. We've seen them going around through the, the podcast sphere. But him going on Charlie Kirk now is a big deal. It's significant. I'm not saying it's a decisive thing. I'm just saying like this is something to pay attention to. Because Turning Point USA and the Heritage Foundation are the two primary organizations that are behind this Project 2025 thing. And... The Project 2025 uh, mandate, the details that they're discussing, overlap almost one-to-one -one with Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign uh, uh, bullet points, the things that he's hit on in all of his different interviews. And it seems increasingly like Vivek is probably the, the, the best possible person in, in traditional uh, political terms to be Trump's VP. Will he actually be? Is it going to be somebody? I, I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. 
I think if we see that Vivek winds up as Trump's VP, then that means it's game on. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Increasingly, in some of the, the interviews and stuff where he's talked about, it's, it sounds like the talks are definitely happening, and this is, this is a, uh, uh, a thing. But well, we'll get back to that here in just a minute. So a couple of the comments that Yarvin made in here. He's describing, uh, talking to, to, to Charlie, and he's trying to speak the language of his audience. And, and, and this here, this interview was the most Yarvin has ever sounded uh, palatable to like a BoomerCon audience, I think. And I think he was, he was working to do that. So he says, um, uh, they're talking about the bureaucracy and the bureaucracy, especially in the, in the executive branch. It's about 20 minutes into the podcast. They've been talking about uh, FDR and Nixon and, the, uh, and Vietnam and China, the way things have worked through that. And he says, um, if I had one thing to say to your audience of patriots, um, the thing that I would want them to remember <laughs> is when they say democracy, they mean oligarchy. So this is, remember, you've got this boomer con uh, uh, or the the, per the type of person who's going to hear themselves be called a patriot, and they're going to be like, "Yeah," they're not going to recognize that Yarvin is saying it ironically. But yeah. like Yarvin's like, "I'm going to speak your language. You you guys are patriots. That's right. You know, damn right you're patriots." <laughs> and when they say it's when they say democracy, they mean oligarchy. That's really really important. People should get that. The second thing to say, um, uh, and I love going around to saying this, people that are really in the loop and in deep in D.C., because I've never heard anyone disagree with this, we don't have an executive branch. We have a legislative branch. It's almost like a legislative judicial branch in some ways. Um, the When you look at the so-called executive branch, what you see is that the personnel, the policy and the budget of this are set by the Congress, which is a completely non-democratic and non-political. He says the Congress is a buffer against politicizing the deep state, which means democratizing the deep state. So he's breaking down how... Congress has essentially abdicated their responsibility and and put law like all the lawfare has gone to the administrative state. Congress is like a show uh, organization. And the administrative state is all these different executive bureaucracies are the ones who are actually running the show. And these function independently. And then the judiciary is there basically just to rubber stamp whatever they bring forth. And the executive branch has virtually no role in this. We essentially do not have an executive branch. So he's he's making this case. This this should be this is like remedial to anybody who's you know followed Yarvin or read the Machiavellians or spent any time in this this in our sections of the internet. This this sort of thing should be a kind of a remedial observation. But now this observation is not just restricted to our little corner of the internet. This observation is going out on like one of the largest Normicon conservative podcasts out there. And someone who is a known close associate of the Trump of the Trump campaign administration in Charlie Kirk. And as as you listen to this, you'll also notice that Charlie Kirk is is he's challenging Yarvin, but he's doing it in like a constructive way where he's playing like devil's advocate and getting him to make his points even better. You'll hear that if you go listen to the whole interview. Um so this isn't just you know, the, the Normicon guy being like, hey, someone scheduled me this interview with this Yarvin guy. He's got weird ideas. He wants to talk about monarchy. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, weird programmer guy. Tell me about monarchy. Uh, anyways, here's Birch Gold. You know, like, it, it's... <laughs> yeah. Charlie is very into the conversation, and he's speaking his language. And in fact, he drops you. a little nugget where he said, yeah, Blue Chew. <laughs> For all my impotent or boomers. Yeah, right. for, for real American patriots. 
You Get know, your boner pills. You know you're a true American patriot when what you're buying is Bolin Branch sheets, boner pills, my patriot supply, and and and, and gold bars. <laughs> America. Like we laugh, but like this is a legitimate constituency. Yeah. This is yeah. a significant, significant voter block, economic block, uh, culture blo- block. This is a large amount of people. And our frustration with the Normicon tends to be how useless they are. They bluster about ideals and yada, 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 and then ultimately they just lay down and do whatever the GOP tells them to do. But now we're starting to see the pretext for the radicalization of the Normicons. Now the Normicons are to a point where they're actually willing to entertain these sorts of ideas. And the way that I know that is because fucking Charlie Kirk had Curtis Yarvin on his podcast in the in an election year. This like this is not just ordinary nothing's going on bro stuff. Nothing's happening. <laughs> right. So Yarvin goes on, he says, um, if you look at the influence that the president has on the executive branch, basically what is an executive order? It's basically a tweet. There's really not a terribly big difference between an executive order and a tweet. Um, so as he goes on, they start talking about how he said, uh, if you stack the whole system with like patriotic Americans, which was unfortunately not really done in the last administration, he said, there's something called the plum book, um, which is there's 5,000 positions in the federal government. So Trump gets to appoint 5,000 people to these positions. And he goes on to describe how, if you, if you get in there, if you get appointed like that, he said, um, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, they're basically going to parachute in there. They're going to find that they have no way to constrain the permanent staff who nominally work for them. And every one of these people is going to be offered a choice. First of all, either you turn code immediately, you become a traitor, or we're going to destroy your professional life. We're going to saddle you with hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal bills because this lawfare industry that we're seeing is, ra- is just ramping up. We're going to saddle you with hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal bills. You'll never have a career in this space at all again. We're going to do everything to destroy you personally, but certainly professionally. Or you can just turn coat, you know, maybe after four years, we'll trust you and you can get some jobs. You can kind of burrow into the bureaucracy. And then Charlie affirms this and he says he's heard this story hundreds of times that people go into the bureaucracy and if they choose correctly, incorrectly within a month, hell is unleashed on them. So they're describing what the, what, what the, the executive branches, this bureaucracy, this network of bureaucracies, what it's like to work within them. And this is the thing that, that, that saddled, um, uh, that threw shackles on Trump's first administration. There was actually a, whatever the equivalent of Project 2025, there was something comparable to that in 2016. The Heritage Foundation and all their partners put together a like, here is how a Republican president should govern to promote faith, family, and the nation, yada, yada, yada. And I think Trump implemented like 60% of their recommendations in 2016 which is part of why you saw a big revival in the economy and um, uh, and why things things kind of felt like they were taking off for a little while. It was in part because of that. Not entirely. I think the a bigger role that was played was something, um, it was the vibe of, 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 of Trumpism. And in fact, real quick, I know this is a little, little um, schizo here, but um, I want to pull a... Uh, thing here. <clears throat> uh, da, 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 da. This one. 
So I retweeted this, this video. If you follow me on Twitter, I would go watch this video. It's like six and a half minutes long, so I'm not going to play it right now. But the gist of it is narrative beats facts, vibe beats narrative. And this guy here was making the case that, that part of the power of the 2016 uh, Trump moment was the energy around it. It was the vibe. It didn't have so much to do with specific policies. It didn't have so much to do with um, like the actual technical facts of what was happening. Because ultimately, human beings, we communicate to each other. We understand the world in terms of narrative, in terms of stories. So the facts on the ground aren't as important as the story that you tell about the facts on the ground. But then even more than the story that you're telling is the vibe of your community, the vibe of your people. What is What sort yeah. of energy is there around you? Do you remember like MAGA in 2016, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016? It was so much fun. Yes. It was a fucking party. And that was the power of it. Yeah. That was the power. People wanted, people felt energized. They felt hopeful. They felt optimistic. It was like, hey, there's someone who's listening to us. We actually have a chance. We have something we can inject our our, our energy into. It was incredibly powerful. It created a lot of meaning for a lot of people who were very much lacking it. Meaning. Right. Yeah. Shout out to a disgruntled docs in the chat. The man understands the power of memes. And memes are still powerful. You just have to get a lot more selective with them now because people are getting used to them. The memes have to evolve. They have to continue to evolve. And this is part of the, this is part of why the hopeless doomerism is so bad. (laughs) It's so toxic. The hopeless doomerism counters this. Hopeless doomerism kneecaps this sort of thing. An obsession with the facts means you start telling the wrong story. And that story has a shitty vibe that people don't want to be associated with. It doesn't matter if your facts are true. What matters is the story that you're telling and the vibe that it gives. Whether or not people want to associate with that vibe. So back to this, uh, um, this this Yarvin interview. So <clears throat> there's a couple other points in here that I wanted to highlight because this kind of frames, I think, what the Project 2025 thing is doing. So he's describing how um, uh, Charlie Kirk says, I can tell you whether it be in housing and urban development or in the Department of, of the Interior, this phenomenon where you have the permanent bureaucrats who are in there, how they go in, how, how the, the new appointees come in and just get immediately brought to heel. There's nothing like they just get kneecapped right away. They get pulled in, they get made part of it, they get whether it's leveraged or 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 um you know, whether they get they get threatened or given, you know, the, the carrot or the stick. In in either case, eventually the people are brought to heel. And if not, then they are thrown out. It's a it's a, a, a tight knit club and outsiders are not allowed in. And this is really so much of the dysfunction within the government now is a product of this dynamic. This dynamic is what what breaks the the uh, that deviates you furthest away from formalism, where you never actually see who is in power. So then you just wind up chasing boogeymen, and the buck never stops with anyone. This is the ultimate effect of democracy. But this is the reality now, and so we only have a few tools at our disposal if we want to do something about this. 
And one of those tools is the system itself. There's actually ways you can use the system against itself. But they require a significant amount of coordination and planning, and you have to have elite backing in order to make it happen. I got a part. All right. It's been See real. See buddy. See Everyone ya. say bye to Cooper. Bye, guys. <laughs> I've got a gym date with our mm. favorite little retard. Oh, tell him hi for me. That uh, I will. Matthew Brad says hello, Xavier. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Xavier. Right. Later, everybody. Uh, thank you, Athanasius. He says, smash the like. Let's see what we got right now. We've got uh, 37 concurrent viewers and 15 likes. Get those likes up, folks. Hit that like for us. Give us some of that tasty, sweet interaction. <clears throat> um, so uh, continuing with the, with the, the comments that, that Curtis is making here, um, uh, he's basically breaking down for the, the normie cons, how, you know, you're starting to see DC for what it really is. Uh, you have your 11th grade civics class and you read about how a bill becomes a law or whatever. And it's so ideal. And then, you know, there's a budget and, you know, even the fricking omnibus bills and it has no resemblance to, uh, to the, the actual reality. The actual reality is completely departed from these ideals. This is, this is really important for the normie cons to realize because ultimately, this is why the the, the conservatives, right wingers, whatever, they always end up fighting each other, between each other. Because ultimately, the Normicons, the generic GOP guy, like he loves all these ideals. He loves his constitution, his constitutional government, his liberalism, his equal rights, all these sorts of things. They're so invested in this that they don't realize that the system is a trap designed to pull you in, get you caring about that thing, and then take you out. So if you engage with the system in, in honest terms, if you come up to it and you confront it and you try to bring your ideals into the system and make the system work according to its ideals, you're gonna you're losing from the outset. <clears throat> this is this is very a, a pretty banal observation, I think, for 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 me at least, and for a lot of the people I know and talk with a lot. This is banal, but remember, this is going into the Normicons now, and it's being presented to them in a way that's very. Um, uh, very easy to take on. One of the great things about these Normicon people, they're they're very, they're just very decent people who like to who who like to be told what to do and then do what they're told. It's like their greatest strength and their greatest weakness. So what matters here is that now we have their guy Chuck Dirk is endorsing. I, I mean, he, he he's endorsing what Curtis Yarvin is saying. So he's telling them this guy is right. He doesn't have to say that in his words by having him on there, by engaging with him, saying, I agree with a lot of what he says. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but you know, it's a great conversation. Like This is how you get this stuff into people's minds. This is how you prime them to actually be willing to accept this sort of thing when it comes down the pike. You, you get in the conversation going, and you keep seeding it. You keep pushing it. You keep nudging people in this direction. The All of the, the, the communists... They've all figured out how to do this a long time ago. They've perfected this. They've got it down to an art. The problem is all of their systems are necessarily self-destructive. So it's taken the right-wingers a long time, but they're actually starting to be able to, to uh, engage with this, these ideas and come alongside them. 
who knows how many actually will. There's plenty of people, I'm sure, who listen to it now, whatever, and they'll forget about it. Oh, it's kind of an interesting thing and kind of move on. But this also goes to this latent, I think, conservative impulse among right-wing people that they feel like, like, whatever solution is put forth has to be a comprehensive solution that can be plugged in and we can dust our hands off and walk away. But that just isn't how these things work. Our responsibility is to manage our societies, not to like give our societies a great system and then go back to doing whatever we were doing. Our responsibility is to manage them actively. This is what governing is. This is what it is to exercise dominion. We have a responsibility to do this and that means recognizing that you sometimes you got to take a bite at a time. You got to take the first bite out of the elephant before you can take the last bite. Random username, $2 US. Algorithm boost. Thank you very much, man. So, <clears throat> so the case that he makes here is um, that the thing, he says, if, if you could bring the founders back and basically show them DC as it is today, they would just be like, what does this even have to do with the thing we created? Like, how are you basically using these 18th century documents to justify this thing? This is a, a fantastic little little persuasion technique here where he's saying, your guys, your guys you're appealing to who created this thing, if you showed them the thing, they would be like, what in the fuck? Get rid of it by any means necessary. This has to be overthrown. This has to be destroyed. Don't let, don't let the documents we wrote stand in the way of you getting rid of this thing. So what he's kind of subtly done here is he said, is you're betraying the spirit of the founders by not, by, by, by trying to hold a system that's clearly completely departed from it to that standard. This is, a, this is crucial in the average conservative mind for them to understand and recognize this because the best path forward, apart from just, you know, hunkering down into a nuclear bunker, the best path forward to accomplish anything politically within the American system is going to be if right-wingers can organize themselves in such a way that they can take the Constitution, they can turn it slightly sideways, and liberally interpret within it to accomplish some, some type of an authoritarian solution. By authoritarian, I mean taking authority and using authority the way it's meant to be used. Slow up says, if even 10% of Kirk's audience grocks what Yarvin is saying, that's going to shift the Overton window. Exactly. Exactly. It's just priming the pump. They don't have to get this whole thing. They don't have to see this as a conversion moment. It's framing it in their mind. Now this is going out to the normies. It's not just restricted to our little corners of the internet. $10 Australian from 2-Bit Podcast. He says, I'll go boost war. <clears throat> Thank you, sir. At $10 Australian, the $2 US, you know, this is a good good back and forth. You guys should keep this up. So, <clears throat> uh, he says the tragedy is they didn't need to rewrite the Constitution. They've just ignored it. So, the Democrats have ignored the Constitution. He says nobody nobody ever abolished the Articles of Confederation. They just said, well, this isn't the thing anymore. Um, so, then let me get down to some of these a couple other spots that I'd highlighted. So <clears throat> now he's introducing them to what executive authority looks like. He said, uh, we go back just a little bit here. Um, he said, one of the things they did in the constitution that was kind of a work of genius that I think we can really learn from is they never specified which of the three branches is in charge. Um, and he said that was part of the brilliance because basically what that allowed to have happen 
He says, as Aristotle described, you know, 2,500 years ago, there are three forms of government and modes of power, democracy, oligarchy, and monarchy. You guys are probably familiar with this. He says, what we see in American history is about every 75 or 80 years, sort of like the San Andreas Fault, you basically get a presidential government. Your government goes from being uh, the rule of the many is pretty hard to pull off these days. The rule of the few is pretty much is pretty normal in this system. That breaks down. And then you get a president like Washington or Lincoln or FDR who is really personally in charge of the federal government in the way that Elon Musk is in charge of SpaceX. That's a, um, and then they start talking about Elon and uh, uh, Charlie Kirk says, uh, he's the closest thing to, and I don't mean this pejoratively, he is a dictator over those companies. He's a king, he's a monarch, he's a CEO. What he says goes, and he's the arbiter of what success is and what is not. And Yarvin says, when you look at how everything that works in our world works, whether it's a restaurant with a chef, whether it's a movie with a director, whether it's a company with a CEO, you see this pattern sort of repeated everywhere where you put one person in charge and you make him or her accountable, but you don't let anyone micromanage that. Authority flows down from the, flows from the top down. In Washington, there's a saying that personnel is policy. That's important. Personnel is policy. Um, so if you want some policy to run, you have to get the right people in charge. He says, that's not how SpaceX works. <clears throat> um, so then there's an ad. Uh, so then they, they talk about how um, he compares the way Fauci operates, to the way Musk operates, um, what having accountability is. This is why SpaceX operates better than NASA. He compares it to the Manhattan Project. And he's like, you know, it'd be basically impossible to pull off the modern day Manhattan Project. Um, uh, so then another thing that I highlighted down here, there were some specific thoughts that I, I, uh, I grabbed as I was listening to it last time. Or, or just this afternoon. <clears throat> uh, so, so after going back and forth on this, then then Charlie says, uh, uh, "Are you suggesting an Elon Muskish character as president?" <clears throat> and he said, uh, "He said I think there's sort of two ways. Yes, definitely, but I think there's two ways that that can roll." He said, uh, "We're of course in the situation that we're in, and we're not looking at anything but Trump versus Biden in 2025, which I." pretty much agree with. I think it's going to be Trump versus Biden. He says, I'm very conflicted actually about what this election, about this election, because having Biden in the white house, this sort of shambling husk of a man. And my God, think about how much he's going to degenerate over the next four years. Um, he said, you know, Jill has to lead him off the stage. Now this is important. He says, seeing that is actually great for America and Americans because they should see what their government really is. They should see. And the reality is that Washington doesn't need the white house. You can have no White House at all, no president at all. The executive branch would work even better. Sometimes it sort of sends up, like decisions go up and they land on the president's desk and they give him three boxes to check and he's supposed to check the middle one and he checks the middle one. That's not what Elon Musk does. Elon Musk is proactive. Um, and then, uh, so now here, he's describing what, what Trump's actual role should be. And, I, and this is a signal. He says, Trump has so many sort of attributes of kingliness. He has this quality, and there's this quality in Arabic called Baraka, like the quality of a, of a king. He said, what Trump is not good at is drilling down, detailed management, staying on top of things, having a long attention, attention span. Elon Musk is not the right job for Donald. Trump is not the CEO of the government. He's the chairman of the board. And if he was able to see himself as the chairman of the board and to basically go out and say, hey, I'm going to go wherever you find these Elon Musks of today. I'm going to go empower that person and basically say, you know what? Uh, hey, you know someone, he says, I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm sure there's a hundred people in Silicon Valley that could do this job and basically say, you're going to shut down this fake executive branch that we have and create a new government. And I will take credit for it because I'm Donald Trump. 
um, and this like, so this fits perfectly with, with Trump psychology. He says, uh, you have to tell the American people before the election, hey, look, if you're going to vote for me, you're going to understand that as president, I'm just going to run the country for the next four years, and I'm going to treat the other two branches of government as advisory, because this is the only way to restore the executive branch from its present Babylonian ca captivity. So basically, I'll be King Cyrus, and we'll have another election in four years. I'm still going to be accountable, and that election is going to be hold held in a totally different country. Because when you see real regime change in this world, think about East Germany turning into modern Germany. This is this is where where Yarvin loses me a bit. I don't. I, I mean, the whole like having the election in another country. Maybe that happens. I don't know. Um, but uh, I go through all of this here to to kind of lay the groundwork for what I think I'm seeing with the Project 2025 venture. I don't know to what extent Yarvin is directly working with the Project 2025 people or with the PayPal mafia thing we've talked about with this Silicon Valley um, sort of uh, rising or, or, or coordinate, like coordinated or coordinating Silicon Valley elite. I don't know to what extent these people are actually explicitly working in, in cooperation with each other or if they're all just kind of reading the tea leaves independently. But if there's one thing that the Silicon Valley people understand, it's executive power how executive power works, what it looks like when it's not there. Their entire, like, especially if they're in venture capital, if they're working with founders, they're evaluating startups to see for, for success, deciding when they're going to invest in them, understanding how you run something stripped down and, and lean, like a lean, mean machine. This is the thing that they know. And these are the guys who are now more and more expressing uh, uh, dissatisfaction with the status quo and starting to get involved and starting to push forward their ideas about how an organ an executive organization needs to be run. And they're finding common cause with Project 2025. So I'm going to have two conversations about the PayPal mafia next week where I'll go into more detail on this. Um, I'm on, a, I'm on a, a time crunch here. So um, we're going to get a little bit more into the Project 2025 thing here. But if you want to know more detail about the the so-called PayPal mafia, Silicon Valley elite, whatever, whatever it is, whatever you want to call this, this, this rising interest group. I'll talk, we'll talk in more detail, both with uh, Pete Quinones on the Pete Quinones show next week and with the Prudentialist. <clears throat> For the, I got some super chats here uh, real quick. Uh, random username again, another $2. He says, Taylor Swift triggers the algo. And uh, a two-bit podcast, five Australian dollars, says the algo is a Swifty. And then Well Emanuel comes in with 50 Mexican pesos. So we're all over the place. I, I have not the faintest, uh, I, I'm extremely uh, American-centric here. I haven't the faintest idea what uh, 50 Mexican pesos uh, comes out to. But I appreciate you, Well Emanuel. Thank you, man. Um, estimulando el, el algoritmo. I appreciate that. Stimulate the algorithm. <clears throat> so... Project 2025, I want to show you guys a couple things here. Open up this. So first of all, if you go on to Twitter right now, let me share my screen right here, and you search for Project 2025, What's very interesting, hey, look, it's us. <clears throat> oh, wow, look, I can watch myself in real time. This is wild. Anyways, this is the Project 2025 stuff that you're gonna find. 
Amazing launch of the hashtag Stop the Coup 2025 in DC. Project 2025 is the dystopian GOP end of the administrative state. They're starting now. Protest at the Heritage Foundation, Christo-fascist think tank funded by deep Coke money. We'll start day one of any Republican president's term. Project 2025 is 100% fascism. Sign our petition. Uh, so these people are out here. This is uh, three days ago. Is that what this is? Yeah, three days ago, people are out protesting outside the Heritage Foundation about the, um, uh, the Project 2025. And it's funny because I... All that I find is people talking about this fascist takeover. All the libs are freaking the fuck out about it. But nobody else is really talking about it. I don't see any uh, any of our guys, Republican, right-wing, uh, fascist, whatever. I don't see any of our guys talking about it. They're not really aware of what's happening. And I think part of that is because of the thing we talked about at the beginning of the the um the episode the kind of instinctive uh cynicism about any sort of organized right-wing ngo operation it just kind of is like yeah eh. right yeah I'm, I'm sure i'm sure the republicans are the ones who are going to come to save us with the super-based policy thing um well it turns out this actually is a fairly based policy thing um let me give you share this tab instead. <clears throat> I'll let you guys listen to this. This is entertaining. Um, I'll put it up so it doesn't take forever to get through it. The Republican Party doesn't have a platform and have become the first party in modern history without one. The obvious reason is that without a stated platform, their unpopular ideas cannot be challenged in open debate. Notice how every one of these, they're here showing like, like how all the Republicans are all voting together in one single voting block. And on each of these screenshots they show, the Democrats are all voting together in one single voting block. <laughs> these, these, these are precious people. But in their hubris, they made a mistake. Project 2025, it's a call for you to come work here, Washington, D.C. A cluster of right-wing extremist groups got together and put all of their dangerous ideas in a 920-page document called Mandate for Leadership, Project 2025. This is the playbook for what they want to happen to America should Trump or any other Republican president take office after winning the next election. Project 2025 is the doom of our multicultural democracy and the end of the rule of law. It dispenses with constitutional checks and balances and concentrates almost unlimited power in the executive branch. The diabolical plan that is Project 2025 was created by Christian nationalists and funded by the fossil fuel industry. Project 2025 has action plans to take away the rights of minorities, quote-unquote leftists, LGBTQIA plus Americans, and anyone who opposes extremist right-wing ideology. Project 2025 is the mind camp of our age, the fully formed master plan for the takeover of the federal government and its weaponization against its own citizens. Now that we know their plan, we can alert voters to this danger. <laughs> uh... You know, if only the truth was as good as as our uh, as our enemies claim it is. <laughs> but here's the thing: this is how they see it. This is the way that they read it. This is the way they recognize it. This is what they believe it to be. So, okay, let them let it be that. Let them perceive it that way, because they're selling it for us. Get like. 
having them having them this worked up about it is a transparently good thing. This is a un, un I'm unapologetic. This is a good thing. Right now, there's not not a lot of people talking about it. But the more people who get worked up about this, the more attention will be driven toward it because what they need is people. So a key part of it, let me share this article here. Inside Trump's 2020, any inside Trump's 2025 plan, uh, the Trump job applications revealed. This was written December 1, 2023 on Axios. <clears throat> it says, uh, we told you in a behind the curtain column last month that Trump allies are pre-screening the ideologies of thousands of potential appointees and employees in case he wins back the White House. Now we have copies of the exact questionnaires Trump allies are using and that then President Trump himself used President Trump used himself during his final days in office. So these future Trumpers would staff an unprecedented effort to centralize and expand presidential power at every level of the administration. Trump insiders are planning a far more targeted and sophisticated sequel to his haphazard first term when internal feuding deterred policy wins or permanent changes to government. The 2020 questionnaire paired with the application the Heritage Foundation is currently collecting from top job prospects for a future administration points to a top-down government in waiting that would be driven more by ideology than by policy expertise or innovation. Again, I doubt that the truth is going to be what they actually are selling it as, but the closer the truth can be to what they're selling it as, the better. I want an executive branch taken over by ideological right-wingers who have an explicit, coordinated, sophisticated plan for implementing this, this, uh, this vision. Do they need to do it perfectly for me to be satisfied with it? Of course not. Do I expect them to do it perfectly? Do I think this is the, the final rise, the, uh, you know, you know the, the phoenix from the ashes? No. But to whatever extent this can happen and to whatever ever extent I can um, uh, make it happen, I want to be involved in making that happen. TK, $2 Super Chat says, be the base, Chad, the leftist media says you are. Exactly. So here's some of their, their uh, the, the questionnaire that they were using in 2020. Um, it was used in the administration's final days when most moderates and establishment figures had been fired or quit and loyalists were flexing their muscles. I like the way they frame that. Uh, questions include, what part of candidate Trump's campaign message most appealed to you and why? Briefly describe your political evolution. What thinkers, authors, books, or political leaders influenced you and led to your current beliefs? What political commentator, thinker, or politician best reflects your view? Have you ever appeared in the media to comment on candidate Trump, President Trump, or other personnel or policies of the Trump administration? Those are their loyalty testing Trump people. Um... Uh, similar questions are being asked for the talent database being assembled by the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025, the most sophisticated, expensive pre-transition planning ever undertaken for either party. Name one person, past or present, who has most influenced the development of your political philosophy. Name a book that has most significantly shaped your political philosophy, and please explain its influence on your thinking. Name one living public policy figure whom you greatly admire and why. Um... So an alumnus of the Trump White House told, told us both documents are designed to test the sincerity of someone's MAGA credentials and determine when you got red-pilled or became a true believer. They want to see that you're listening to Tucker and not pointing to the Reagan revolution or any George W. Bush stuff. Um, uh, they go on, they say, uh, they ref they ref uh, let's see, they reflect a vision for a centralized administration where people throughout the administration will pick up the phone and say, yes, sir. <clears throat> um, 
Heritage President Kevin Roberts said recently that Project 2025's mission is to get the next conservative president, quote, ready to govern in the most aggressive, ambitious, audacious way to destroy the deep state and devolve power back to the individual Americans. Um, so they've collected more than 5,000 applicants month before, months before a Republican nominee is locked in. And so this gets us to the actual playbook here. Let me come over and share this. So I've shared this on the show before, but we'll go through it a little more, a uh, little more in detail here. So, um, building now for a conservative victory through policy personnel and training. <clears throat> it's not enough for conservatives to win elections. We're going to rescue the country from the grip of a radical left. We need, if we are going to, we need both a governing agenda and the right people in place ready to carry this agenda out on day one of the next conservative administration. This is the goal of the 2025 presidential transition project. The project will build on four pillars that will collectively pave the way for an effective conservative administration. So the four pillars, uh, let me see if, where do they have the four pillars written down? Um, <clears throat> okay, so here's the, the uh, oh yeah, so policy, personnel, training, and playbook. Those are the four pillars. They have them right along the top. So here's their policy agenda, the mandate for leadership, the conservative promise. This book is an invitation for you, the reader, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, and Ms. Smith, to come to Washington or support those who can. Our goal is to assemble an army of aligned, vetted, trained, and prepared conservatives to go to work on day one to deconstruct the administrative state. Um, so this book, this is the 980 page, whatever book, um, that has been, um, prepared for the next, the next, uh, um, uh, president to actually work from. So these, this is actually the, the, the entire book. This is the table of contents for it. Um, so section one, taking the reins of government, you've got white house office, executive office of the president of the United States and central personnel agencies managing the bureaucracy. Um, then you've got each of the aspects of uh, the common defense, which includes media agencies. Uh, then you've got general wel welfare, which includes all these different departments. For some of these departments, the plan is we're going to uh, reassign all of the personnel to other things and we're going to shut down the department. For some of them, it is um, <clears throat> uh, this, uh, like for for instance, with the Fed, one of the things that they're saying is we're gonna we want to abolish the the dual mandate, return it to a single mandate, and then they've got um a, a, some different paths forward, whether it's a uh, gold standard or um uh there was this thing called like the Suffolk standard that I'd never even heard of, and the people who are writing all of these things are all uh there's Mises Institute people in there. There is uh, uh, like Georgetown and Texas Tech, where you got an association with like Bob Murphy. Um, there's a lot of uh, Peter Navarro is has uh, some of the is, is the author of some of these things. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other names in it. But basically, if if this this sort of policy prescription was to be implemented on a mass scale, then it would have very profoundly positive effects on the economy, the uh, the like anti DEI, anti ESG. Um, I mean, there's there's they're explicitly questioning aspects of the Civil Rights Act. They're um, questioning membership in UN and NATO. They're which is this is a, this is a pretty far cry for uh, uh, for the the stodgy GOP. This is very much a um, 
it's this is a rise of a new right actually beginning to act like a governing power would. Again, I'm guarded about, like, I don't think that this is going to be, everything in here is going to be implemented blow by blow. It could end up being absolutely nothing. However, what they're looking for, this is this is plank number two, is personnel. They're putting together a presidential personnel database. You could submit your resume to be included in the personnel database. And I can hear the people saying, oh, they're just trying to get your data. They're just trying to identify you as an enemy of the state. Perhaps. There's a very good chance of that. There's a very good chance this entire thing is just a complete deep state op to bait, to lure everybody in and then crush all of you. Yes, there's, there's a very good possibility that that's the case. So are you like, now what? You just sit back and, oh, oh, well, can't do anything. Or do you or, or do you actually put some skin in the game? They're they're looking to hire people. Do you see yourself as competent and influential? You want to go do something that actually matters? You can go do that. You can go get involved. I'm not going to get involved. I've got other things that I'm doing. But there's a whole lot of people who spend all of their time doom posting on the internet. They would be much better off going here getting involved with something like this, even if, or I might even say, especially if it's just an op to entrap everybody. Because then at least you're not going to be doom posting on the internet anymore. But there's a, the people that this is affiliated with, Hillsdale, Heritage Foundation, there's a lot of very good people, very, sh very sharp very trustworthy people who are involved in this sort of thing. So if your concern is that this is going to be an op, you're just going to get sucked in and, and taken out because of it, you might be right. But if your only concern is self-preservation and you're not going to actually try to take a risk to go in and take over something like this and work with the like-minded people, then, I mean... I don't want to hear you crying about how everything's going to shit because you're not putting your money where your mouth is. I have no affiliation with it. I've just been, I've just been reading about it. I'm just some dude with a podcast who's been digging into it. And I'm like, this is actually like a legitimate thing. This is conservatives talking like conservatives haven't talked in the past. They're talking about banning pornography, banning abortion, closing down the border all the, the every single policy that you like every single policy that you um would be invested in that's what they're talking about doing in here if they accomplish 10% of their agenda it'd be a win but ultimately at some point all of this uh awareness of how shitty everything has gotten. At some point, this has to translate into some kind of action. I'm not saying action needs to be getting involved in like going and signing up to go work in DC. But you could start a company. There's so many opportunities on the internet now today. 
for you to actually make a difference. And if you want to waste your time doing something that makes no difference, just doom posting and just sniping and critiquing anything anybody else is doing, then I, I, I don't have time for you. There is um, part of the idea with this, with this, uh, uh, what time is it? Okay. I got, I got to run here shortly. Um, part of this, their, their plan, the fourth pillar of project 2025 is their 180 day transition playbook, which is a comprehensive concrete transition plan for each federal agency. <clears throat> the idea is basically that they want to bum rush the executive branch and, um, so last time in 2016, Trump gets in there. Trump is surrounded by a bunch of neocon Zionists who uh, just subvert and um, and 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 uh, handcuff him and everything that he tries to do. They're calling this out as specifically this is what happened, and what we're doing is we're planning to have our infrastructure in place to be able to say go at the uh, right at the when the inauguration ends, and one of their plans is laying off something like 50,000 bureaucrats. They have this thing called Schedule F, which if you, if you do a little reading about Schedule F and the categorization of state employees, they're identifying that all of these federal bureaucracies have all been corrupted and they're all populated by our enemies. And if the if the if the federal government is ever going to be able to be reformed to do anything or be able to if we're going to be able to as, as Yarvid's talking about centralize get an actual executive branch that functions, you're going to have to fire the bulk of the administrative state. And they're laying out plans for how you can do that. The plans themselves are really bland. Like if again, you've got the 980 page document that you can go download and 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 read. I mean here it's right here. Um, this. Mandate for leadership. This is what it looks like. Executive Office of the President of the United States. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, really slow scrolling. It goes through each of the different, uh, the office management and budget, office of personnel management, all of these different regulatory information. Like this, it's very, very bland and dry. But the thing is, they're creating a locus for political energy. And I'm seeing this rising, you've got this, this PayPal mafia group of Silicon Valley bureaucrats who are really dissatisfied with the existing regime. And a lot of the rhetoric that's coming from these guys, which we'll talk more about with the Prudentialist and um, uh, the uh, Pete Quinones next week, the the talking points that they are using mirror the talking points of project 2025 very closely. So it's kind of, if you, if you, if you look at the, the structure here, it's kind of like you've got um, the project 2025 guys, and then you've got Charlie Kirk and Curtis Yarvin. And then you've got from Yarvin, you've got Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, and it branches out into a bunch of other people. You've also got Michael Anton, who's also associated with the Project 2025 thing. And then you've got Vivek Ramaswamy, and he connects then into the venture capital side of, of uh, the, the Silicon Valley tech bro guys. 
And all of these guys are starting to speak the same language. That language may not be exactly the language that I want to hear, but it's a lot closer than the language that I'm hearing from the old money within the regime. And now even the old money is starting to, we talked about Jamie Dimon. There's different people who have started signaling their, them being resigned to accepting a Trump administration. So here's, here's the, what I think is happening is the, the fight happening we talked about last time over Trump's VP. It looks to me like this Project 2025 organization, which is something like 80 of the largest Republican uh, uh, organizations. There's a tremendous amount of money and power associated with that. They're signaling very strongly that they want a Trump administration and they want to use a Trump administration to gut and get rid of the administrative state. And the Silicon Valley bros are making peace with a Trump administration. And actually, they, they actively want it now because of immigration, NATO, China, a whole litany of issues that they are very unsettled with the existing trajectory of the regime. So they're finding common cause with this Project 2025 thing. And Curtis Yarvin has been basically laying out that this is the sort of thing that's happening in the background. As I was listening to him, I was thinking, okay, this is him being fanciful. This is over the last few years I've been kind of like, yeah, you know, he's just some blogger. But now I'm starting to see his fingerprints of the stuff he's talking about, the actual realpolitik actually coming into play. And that's all I can say is that that's a good thing. I'm going to leave you guys with one last little bit, little, little supposition here. This one I have no evidence for. I can't remember if I've mentioned it in the show, so if I already have, then then apologies for repeating myself. But my suspicion is that the election fortification that happened, I don't even know if I can say that. I think you guys know what I mean. Hopefully that's not too specific. They haven't picked up on that euphemism. But the events of, of uh, December and January, December of 2020 and January of 2021, I'm becoming convinced that that was the doing of, broadly speaking, Peter Thiel. I don't, I'm not saying again, this is, you know, he wrote down, wrote a letter, said, hey, do this thing. You know, it's Peter, Peter Thiel is kind of like an organization more than he is a person. But I think that the, this, a uh, rising counter elite played a significant role in ensuring the election of Biden. And why would, why would they want to do that? Why, what, what sense does this make? The reason why this would make sense is, and Curtis Yarvin was laying this out. He was saying this explicitly in 2020. He was saying, we need a Biden presidency. So like he said earlier in the, the, the transcript that I read you guys, the American people can see what sort of government they actually have. They can see this doddering old dementia patient. It's completely sucks all the energy out of the room, leaves the, the, the left grasping. There's they've, they've, they have no excitement or energy. Everyone is depressed and, and uh, they have nothing to organize behind. And at the same time, it also 
makes Trump much easier to control. Trump having all these indictments hanging over him means he's becoming very much aware that I'm not the guy running the show. I'm the brand, I'm the vehicle, but I'm going to have to compromise right and left even more than he may have thought he, he had to before. And he definitely thought he had to before because he definitely did do it before. I think that, I don't know how much of this would be like necessarily, I, I think that that the the election fortification that happened was done by some of these these guys. I mean, it was Mark Zuckerberg, four hundred million dollars was the 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 headline, and this is kind of the connection for me because Mark Zuckerberg has been very close to Peter Thiel for a long time. Peter Thiel was the first person to invest in Facebook, and he's been a mentor to Zuckerberg all along the way. And there's one point, and I believe it was twenty nineteen where Peter Thiel all of a sudden came out with his hair on fire, screaming about China, which is a very anti-Peter Thiel thing to do. He's not a guy who goes out and and uh, when he has an enemy, he doesn't go and scream and cry about them. He like silently destroys them behind the scenes like he did with Hulk Hogan and, and Gawker. But he comes out and he starts raving about China, how China's a threat. He's talking, he's meeting with Trump, talking about how much of a threat China is. And interestingly, right at that same time, Zuckerberg all of a sudden pivoted and started raving about China. He went in front of, he was testifying in front of Congress talking about how much of a threat China is, that we need to be much more hawkish with China. Just kind of a coincidence. Again, I don't have any evidence for this. I'm just kind of looking at you know, kind of the outline of things. And someone with Peter Thiel's aspirations is definitely in a better place now having had four years of Biden to demoralize everybody and to get people more checked out of um, less invested in the regime, less invested in this administrative state, in this bureaucracy, and more willing for a change, willing to have something different. So I can't prove it, but I definitely suspect it. Which, which brings up a very interesting dynamic now. Because if everybody is anticipating fortification, that's going to affect the way that they, it's going to affect their behavior in one way or the other. And I kind of suspect the way that it might happen is it might cause a diminished turnout from the libs because now they're kind of, yeah, well, you know, they solved it for us, you know. It's not as, not, a, not as big of a concern where there's going to be fortification, yada, yada, yada. Or the, um, and on the flip side, it could be that the, uh, you've got the, the, the right-wing people who are like, we really got to do it now. We really, we got to overwhelm the cheaters. From their perspective, of course, of course. It was all legitimate. But that creates, it just creates a really interesting dynamic because if that was the, if that was the, uh, if all that infrastructure was put in place by, um, you know, broadly speaking, Thiel, and then that infrastructure is not put in place in 2024, even though people are expecting it to be there, then it, it I don't know, it just makes for, uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea how it's going to play out, but I think it's very interesting. So um, I got to get out of here. Most simply, I see this, I identified before that I believe Vivek is uh, the tip of a spear of an organized slash organizing 
counter elite who are, um, if not our direct allies, people who there's no reason why they couldn't be. We can easily attach our interests to theirs and let them fight for our interests. Use their momentum, use their infrastructure to promote our, our own interests. Because I would much rather live in the society they want to live in than the existing one. I believe that through in the person of Vivek, you now have a, uh, a essentially a handler for Trump. <clears throat> and Trump doesn't have much of a say in this matter. There's a tug of war happening for uh, the, the VP slot. And really that VP slot, what it comes down to is, are the, the, the Nikki Haley um, financiers going to succeed in getting one of their people in, which would be in the person of probably someone like Lee Zeldin or any woman. Um, it's not a woman's job. If a woman's in there, like she's just going to get steamrolled. Um, or uh, some boob like, I mean, like, uh, like Tim Scott or something like that. Some guy that's just kind of an ordinary, like an empty suit. Or is it going to be the guy who is prepared to go into the administration? And I believe the I believe the proposition being given to Trump right here is you can take those that that person you can take your leash and we're pulling all our support from you. You're on your own. Or you can take our guy, and what he's going to do is he's going to run your administration for you. We're going to go in and we're going to gut the executive branch. We're going to we're going to do away with as many of these agencies as we can get rid of. We're going to staff everything with our people who are 100% aligned with your vision and are not going to stab you in the back. We're going to run your administration for you and you get to take all the credit. You get to, you know, you know, you're the you're the chairman of the board. You get to go give speeches, you get to tweet, you get to do whatever you want. Go meet with world leaders and and you know, receive reports. You get to let us manage your administration. Cause you know what? That's what happened last time. Last time your administration was handled by people, but it was handled by people who were not America first people. They were not MAGA people. Now we're going to give you America first. We're going to give you MAGA people who are going to run your administration for you. You just need to give us the VP and you basically need to let us run your administration. I think that's the play that is being made right now. I might be wrong. It could not be the case. It could be the case, and it could be that the 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 Zionist neocon person winds up, the the Patsy winds up as as VP. It could be none of the above. But this is what I'm seeing right now. Hopefully, this is this gave you guys a bit of a more a better understanding of exactly what Project 2025 is. Again, I don't think the exact policies themselves matter. I think what Project 2025 is, is a an organized, coordinated effort among truly right-wing, conservative, Christian Americans who actually want to um, go to war with the bureaucracy. And they recognize that the way you have to do it is going to have to be through proper procedure because there's just no way there's no political energy there's no ever possible way to have um some type of revolution or overthrow or or anything like that that's we're we're decades away from that even being feasible so if you're going to make a move this is how you're going to have to make a move it's going to have to look like this a coordinated effort between 
business interests that want an America first world because it's better for their business, which would be business and financial interests and the conservative new right America first political people, the politicos, an alliance between them. This would be the only way that you could change anything through the political system right now. Even then, odds are against it. It takes so many things to go right. I expect that best case scenario, it's going to fall well short, but it's going to accomplish something and it's going to lay the groundwork for future change. 2028, 2032. If there's ever going to be a Red Caesar or a Caesar of any type, this kind of momentum happening now lays the groundwork for that in the future. That's a good thing. Counter-signaling it is functionally uh, indistinguishable from open support of open borders and trans and kids. I, I, there, you might as if you're going to counter counter-signal something like this, you might as well be just openly supporting the the rainbow people. Because the the vibe that you're projecting, the energy that you're throwing your your the, the the energy you're promoting is identical to that. Anyways, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, we're gonna be doing another episode uh, tomorrow, and we're gonna be live again on Friday. Um, so live on well, live on Wednesday, live on Friday, um, and then next week uh, I'm gonna be recording with. Uh, with Pete Quinones talking about the PayPal mafia. And then we're going to be going on uh, the Prudential list on Tuesday. Uh, Cooper and I are both going to be going on there. We'll be talking about the PayPal mafia. So um, look out for those like subscribe, uh, uh, share the show, please. The numbers have been really taken off and I, this is, this is great. It's cool to see the, the energy that's, that's starting to gather around it. Um, I appreciate all you guys. You can join the Kingpill supporting listeners group, join our discord server um, I'm probably going to be jumping in there for a voice chat after I finish my real estate class tonight. So probably around 10 o'clock um, uh, central time. If anybody's awake, I've got to go walk the dog and I'll hop in there. We can chat about some stuff, but um, subscribe, start.com slash King We'll get you in there. Um, and yeah, thank you guys. We'll talk to you later.